And then I think also making sure that there's some level of an open door policy that allows individuals to come to some of the C-suite individuals and say, this is what I'm experiencing, this is what I've seen, this is what's going well, this is what isn't, to just be more human. Welcome to You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. You are ambitious in life and in your career, but something is missing. You want to bring more of your passion to what you do, because let's be honest, you pour a ton into your work and it needs to mean more. I'm your host, Laura Eigel. I'm a mom, wife, PhD, coach, advocate, introvert, and indoor rowing fanatic. I'm passionate about living a life that's in line with my values. We'll give you the actionable tips and tools you need to lead with your values, make a difference, and have career success. The world needs more diversity and authenticity in the top jobs at organizations. Your leadership belongs there. You belong in the C-suite. What gets you up in the morning? What drives your decisions? What do you stand for? No idea, not even sure where to start? I use my values to guide my life and career. It's the basis of how I've built boundaries for myself and stuck to them. Are you ready to dig into what matters to you? Go to thecatchgroup.com to download your free values worksheet. That's thecatchgroup.com to download your free values worksheet to get to your core values and take action on what matters most. Welcome to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. I hope you came ready to learn and be inspired. I'm more than excited to have Rachel Lauren on the podcast today. Rachel Lauren is a conscious social influencer who is passionate about racial equity, black life, women's rights, foster care and adoption, and holistic wellness. By profession, Rachel is a diversity, equity, and inclusion department head within the tech sector, and also a founding partner and chief programming officer for Diversified, a boutique DEI consulting firm. Through her popular social platforms and various contributor positions, Rachel speaks out against racial injustice and advocates most commonly for the lives of all Black people. As a proud adoptive mom of three, Rachel is no stranger to foster care and adoption, and more specifically, how this industry affects Black and Brown children and families. Although a proud Chicago native, Rachel currently resides in Austin, Texas with her three children. I'm really excited to share a discussion with you. We talked about how leaders can influence in strategic and everyday ways to be more inclusive, the mistakes that leaders are making right now, and the hardest parts of Rachel's experience being a DEI executive throughout the last year. She's an inspirational leader and a model of living her values in action. Let's get started. I'm really excited to welcome Rachel to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. Welcome and thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I would love to hear more about your story and have our listeners hear more about you. Can you tell us your story? Yeah, sure. I am a diversity, equity, and inclusion professional. Um, one of three Black women who own an organization called Diversified. In addition to that, I um, lead DEI for Favor Delivery, which is a tech company that's based here in Austin, Texas, and it's owned by the largest employer in the state, HEB. I can say that my journey to DEI really came from a place of 
pain in corporate America. It really was birthed from my own experiences as a woman, as a Black woman, um, not seeing myself in positions that I had aspired to be in, you know, and kind of the story that a lot of us have, have unfortunately had um, behind the scenes. And so what I found was that I did a lot of this work kind of as a side desk job. It was like, Anytime I was in a position, I was called on, I was asked, or I raised my hand to try to fix some of the programs and the processes and, you know, things that were happening in the organization until it really just became my career. It became um, what I felt like I was really called and purpose to do. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. So as a department head and in the, in the tech sector, especially, and then even as a founding member of the company, you know, as a leader, you know, I'm assuming you use your influence in so many ways, both in the strategic and in the everyday. Can you describe the different ways that you're able to use your position to influence the agendas that you want to see to make change in those organizations? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, for me, there's a, a, a dual answer here. Part of it is that, you know, my whole life, I think I was drawn to be like a voice for the voiceless. I was drawn to make sure that I championed for individuals that maybe didn't feel comfortable doing that for themselves or didn't have the access and opportunity to do that for themselves. And so I found myself in a lot of community work. Um, I consider myself to be an activist and an advocate for foster care, for Black life. And so I would find myself doing these different things and just thought, oh, is this a hobby? Is this something that I do on the side? Not realizing that all of that ladders up to DEI work in, it, in and of itself. And so I think that's part of what positions me to be able to do this work and to, to speak up and to have that, that voice. But also to your question, I think sharing my own experiences and being transparent about how things have played out in my own life and affected me has given um, people the opportunity to understand and believe, right? Like what I'm, where I'm coming from and what I'm saying. And so I think I use that a lot um, within organizations. And I think it's important to really just meet people where they are and to listen and to, and to learn. I feel like sometimes leaders don't understand that they can have an impact in, in changing an organization just by the fact that they're a leader, like people are watching them, right? And I love that how you use your own experience and your own story. How do you see others or in the companies that you work with, the ones that are doing it well, what are you seeing organizations do at the leader level to really get into the diversity, equity, and inclusion space? Um, you know, I think investment is really just the first step. And that's what most people have mastered is saying, okay, I see the need and I'll invest in it. But it has to go further than that. And so what I think is, is a successful leader is one that says, not only am I seeing the need, investing in the need, but I'm going to also invest my time. I'm going to learn. I'm going to show up. I'm going to realize that I don't have it all. I'm going to show the people that are on my staff that it's important to me as an individual, not just for our organization. And so it's really becoming involved in whatever the trajectory of the work is, right? Whatever that roadmap looks like for each organization. And again, being transparent about your journey. And then I think also making sure that there's some level of an open door policy that allows individuals to come to some of the C-suite individuals and say, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I've seen. This is what's going well. This is what isn't. To just be more human. Yeah. It's really great advice. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what mistakes are you seeing leaders make in this space, especially these companies that are, you know, maybe getting into it with just the investment? What other mistakes are you seeing leaders make? Only basing the work off of the lenses that they have, right? Like we all have our own experiences and backgrounds that lead us to see the world and life and and work in a certain way. And I think we do DEI specifically a disservice when we only allow ourselves to consider things through that lens and not the lenses of, 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 of others. And I think that that is what this work is all about, right? It's understanding that to have diversity, there's, you have to know what diversity means. And it's not just race. It's not just ethnicity. It's diversity in thought. It's diversity in education and background and experiences. And so what does that mean when people come into your organization and they have these different things? What, how does something look to them that might differ from you? Put yourself in someone else's shoes. Yeah. When we think about DEI at the end of the day, a lot of this stuff is just leadership stuff. Do you agree? Disagree? Very largely, very largely it is, it is leadership, you know, and it comes down to, again, systems, Mm -hmm. programs that does lead up to leadership, but a lot of companies, you know, C-suite, they've inherited things from years and years and years ago. And it's just become, this is the way we do things. And so it's really taking responsibility for where there are some, some gaps, where there are some holes and understanding that because people are ever evolving, how we approach people needs to ever evolve. How we approach programming, policy, interviewing, all of that has to be considerate of the fact that people are evolving. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a piece of, you know, talent strategy? You mentioned recruitment, Um, development, retaining employees, is there a place that leaders and or organizations should be starting or do they need to go in with a holistic lens? Yeah, I think it's different. Every organization is different. Um, When we, my company Diversified, go into our clients' um, work, we usually do a discovery session to see, you know what I mean, where they are, what their policies and programs and systems look like. And then we can find what's going well and, and maybe what's not going so well. And that's really where to start. But I think it's important to always assess whatever's written, whatever processes you have, because again, as time changes, those need to change also. Yeah. And evolve as everything evolves. Yeah. I remember, I can't even remember what company I was working for at the time, but I was at a a leadership conference for HR professionals because my background is in HR and um, we talk about evolving. And I remember at the time, someone had just gone on a Zoom meeting and they saw pronouns, you know, listed and this HR, and I thought, I was like, oh yeah, that's great. Um, but this HR professional was taken aback and they're like, why? And it was, it happened to be a tech company in San Francisco, I think, um, that did it. And I was taken aback that she was taken aback because I thought it was cool and she, um, didn't understand the need for it. And this idea of this ever evolving lens and what we do to include people and for people to belong, um, needs to always really be first and foremost to your point. Can you talk to me about um, the importance of pronouns and and why why they're important to recognize? Yeah, absolutely. People deserve to be seen, considered, and acknowledged as who they are. 
and we don't get to determine that. That is determined by them. And I think that um, when it comes to pronouns, you know, society has taught us of the, these, these two, he, she, right? And, and we automatically silo individuals into these two, and that's not fair. What I think is important is if you want someone to come into an organization and we say, bring your full self to work and you belong here and we're inclusive, then you need to really believe that and mean that. And so understanding that talking to someone, speaking to someone, all of those things relate back to your pronouns. It's important to make sure that that's a part of every conversation and that you make people feel comfortable enough to say, this is who I am. So, you know, you mentioned putting your pronouns on Zoom. That's a way to be inclusive. That's a way to say, I'm going to put mine here so that you don't feel, you know, like you're the, the odd person out by having yours and having to say that this is who you are. Let's all do it so that there are no questions, so that assumptions are not made and that, you know, we can all stand together. So thank you so much for, for further context on it. And at the end of the day, to your point, it's there's a lot of performative things that organizations are doing, that leaders are doing, whether they realize it or not. And some I have talked to some leaders weren't sure is even putting that on Zoom, is that performative too? And at the end of the day, if it helps somebody and it helps somebody belong, um, why not do it? Yeah, I agree. The thing about, you know, people being performative, of course, it's never what we want to see. Like we want individuals to be genuine. We want organizations to be genuine and mean it. But there's a, there's a piece of even performative activism that still can help individuals. That's that's the thing that people don't understand. Sure, I've met people that are performative, but the things that they're doing, their performance is still benefiting. And I'm here for benefiting others. Yes. What you do with your heart that's between you and your heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, doing what's right will always be what we should do. Yes. I cannot agree more. I cannot agree more. So I just want to ask you as a, as a DEI professional, like what has been the hardest thing for you in the last year, 18 months? I, I can't imagine just everything that's been happening, you are front and center, you are living it. It's a life experience at the same time. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I think the most difficult thing about leading DEI is it still affects you, right? So calling it what it is, I'm a black woman. I'm a black woman in America today. And that in and of, in and of itself, excuse me, is difficult. And everything that we've seen transpire over the last year has affected me personally, right? Like I still have to deal with that. And so dealing with that, but then also making sure that I'm there for the other individuals in my organizations that are dealing with that, still having to educate and teach individuals that might not understand, right? Like what's happening and how they can best show up. All of those things can become hard when you are yourself walking through some of the same things. So I think, and I think that's with probably any DEI professional, we all come with our own, you know, uh, baggage, <laughs> we come with our own trauma. And so, you know, I mentioned before, what has driven me to this work was my past experiences, but that doesn't mean that those past experiences don't come up sometimes, right? Because I've, I've had my own trauma in corporate America. So being able to identify, understand that and find ways to have my own outlets um, has been important for me. Thank you so much for sharing that. I 
um, I do not have that same experience as you because I'm a white woman in America, right? So I carry that privilege and I am just trying to learn and continue to unlearn um, and to learn from others' experiences. And as an HR professional through the pandemic, it feels like, you know, people have been trying to care for employees and others. And I think it's just a, a different level when you are in the DEI space. So I really appreciate everything that you are doing and everything that you are carrying. Thank you. I appreciate that. We talk a lot about boundaries in um, our podcast and the need for them, trying to... <laughs> actually uphold them and keep them for ourselves. What kind of boundaries do you have for yourself? And are there some that you're still trying to work on? Yeah, um, I think it is constant work in progress for sure. Um, As you know, just even being an HR professional, the work never stops. (laughs) So making sure that there are boundaries with my time that, you know, I have that time to relax, that I have time to myself and to my family, and that I say, these are those hours, um, and I will not be taking calls or working unless it's extremely important. Um, That's a boundary. I will also say in my own firm, who we work with is a boundary. I do not have to sign up for um, toxic individuals and toxic organizations because it is my business. And so there are times where we will meet potential clients and we will choose not to work with them because we see some of the things that we might have experienced in our past happening in the organization or within the individual, right? And so while I get that everyone has a way to go, there are some things that are just non-negotiable and I don't have to expose myself to that. So I'd say those are two very big boundaries. And then, you know, just in conversation, I call it out right then and there. If someone says something offensive, if someone says something and and maybe it's unconscious, I call it out. That's a boundary. Just because I'm DEI does not mean that you are able to just say whatever to me in any way. And is that something that you guys also, that your company also teaches leaders to do is to do those behaviors as a leader? Yes. Absolutely. You have to model it first. You can't expect people in your organization to be something that you first are not. And we also talk a lot on our podcast about values Um, and then just getting to know your bio and everything. It feels like you are a person that has a lot of values and uses their time accordingly. I feel like I've been just um, learning about all of the things that you're involved in and I can't imagine that that you have the time to do everything that you have ha, that you have accomplished and that you're doing. So I love that you're talking about time as a value, as a as a boundary. Um, can you talk about some of your other values and how those show up in your life? Yeah, you know, at the at the end of the day, it's important for me to just be a good person and to do everything with a good heart. And I think that being human it's easy for us to be affected by, you know, certain individuals to become angry, you know, we're, again, we're human. So I think I have to always reset and recenter myself and make sure that I'm putting heart first, that I'm loving individuals the way that I would want to be loved. Peace is important to me. And that's a a very big value of mine. And I am really, I I focus on making sure that I find peace in my environment, that my house feels peaceful. I don't allow, back to boundaries, I don't allow everyone to come into that space because that is valuable to me. And it's, it's important for my mental health. But, you know, I value life. 
and I value the lives of others. And that's why I'm in the work that I'm in. And that's why I do everything that I do, because that to me is the most precious thing. And so I want to make sure that in any way that I can, that I'm showing that and that to your point about, you know, being a leader, that I'm leading that out. Yeah. And you're modeling that for others as well and all of the actions that you have. If you had advice for leaders that are of influence, which are basically all leaders, if you're a leader in an organization, you have influence. <laughs> the first thing. Yeah. The first thing to do as we continue our DEI journey, wherever your organization is, wherever you are, what would it be? What's that first thing to do? Listen is always the first thing. Listen, because um, I think a lot of times we think that we know it all. Being at the top, we think that we have this bird's eye view of everything that's happening and we just get it. And that's not true. It is important for us to listen to our staff at all levels of the organization and hear what their experiences are, things that are going well for them and the things that are not. It is important to be consistent in that though. I think what happens in this work is that it'll be like, okay, I'm gonna invest my time, I'm gonna listen. But then after we've been at this work for a year, then that no longer becomes the practice. And like we talked about earlier, this is evolving. It will ever be evolving, which means you've still gotta be committed in five years. It's just gonna look different. And you've still got to listen because there's going to be things that come up. So I think that's always the first step is listening. I love that advice. It's especially in the ever evolving nature of everything, how fast events can influence the world. Are there specific practices that you have seen work well in organizations or leaders that are doing this well, just listening well? What, what does that behaviorally look like? So a lot of times my organization, we teach individuals to make sure that they're listening with the intention of not responding. So most of the time when we listen, especially if it's something that we find offensive, because it's possible that you're listening to someone say, this is, this is what you did. <laughs> um, and you want to respond and defend yourself. We teach people to listen and be able to reiterate what it is the person said, not respond to what it is they said. So what I heard you say was, whether you agree or not, that is important. And that will start to build trust and it can heal trauma. Just understanding that you are, you care and you're listening and you heard what I said. That's the, that's the very first thing. So um, we definitely teach you know, individuals that that's important, especially when there's gonna be a difficult conversation. Um, a lot of times we do mediations so if there's a conflict and we have to mediate between the two, we make sure that both go back and forth and, and use that um, strategy. Something else is making sure that in the roadmap that you have, we believe in creating these diversity, equity, and inclusion roadmaps. So this is where we're starting and this is where we want to go. Making sure that you're bringing your organization along with what that roadmap looks like. So saying, hey, this is our plan and being able to update along the way, this is what we've accomplished and this is what we've had yet to do so that people see that it's an, an evolution and they feel bought in to the strategy. I love that. And it's, it also creates accountability and an employee can then ask, hey, where are we on this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Transparency. Mm-hmm. That's the other part of this, this work that is extremely important. Because that's what you have to be transparent with not only how you're feeling, but what you're seeing, experiencing, you know, the things that you want to see, like it's, it is vulnerability and transparency that's required. So, and what are you, um, are you, I'm seeing a little bit more transparency in 
in corporations saying what their metrics are or their plans, like letters from CEOs, and then also um, bonuses tied to some of this stuff. Do you think any of those things are better than another? Um, I don't know that I would say better than another. I think that they're all valuable. But again, a lot of times what we see on the outside, so someone saying, this is our, these are our demographics, or this is how we feel as a company. It means nothing if the people that work for that organization don't agree mm. and are not first on the same page. And that's exactly why that transparency around the roadmap is important. Because what happens is these things are released and the people that are in the organization are like, I don't feel that way. I don't feel like you care. I don't feel like as an organization, we stand up for that. I don't see these demographics or this doesn't look like diversity to me. You know, what you tend to see are gender and race. That's usually what people will report out on. Um, I work with some organizations that we've helped them define what diversity means internally. They might not, you know, release it, but make sure that people are able to go ahead and identify how they want to. And that when you say, this is what my organization looks like, you report on exactly that. Mm. So how they identify their sexual orientation, that's important mm-hmm. to people, their gender, all of that, their education and background, give people the opportunity to say those things so that when you report, you say, this is what our organization looks like. And then you can truly see if it's diverse. That's great. That's really great. I feel like there's more power for employees now to call it out to whether that's you know in a situation just disagreeing and like CEO messages like all of that stuff right now if you're a company that's not living up to the things that you say it's very easy to be found out now absolutely yeah and I do think that to your point people are becoming more confident and speaking out because of what they've had to see yeah. like we've this past year has just been so traumatic for all of us, right? That people are fed up. And it's like, at this point, I I am going to speak up. I am going to take up for myself. Are you also finding in your work with other leaders and other women that employees just have higher standards now? Uh, Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. And I think, I don't even know that it's that they have higher standards now. I just think that they feel more confident standing in what those standards are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I think that there are people that, you know, might have left jobs because we quit. Well, left managers, we quit managers, not jobs, yeah. <laughs> um, have quit before and not felt confident or comfortable enough to say what the real issue was. And I think that we're, we're finding that more people are willing to say that now. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I really appreciate your time today and all of your thought leadership and your personal experience. Thank you so much for being here on the Belong in the C-Suite podcast. And where can we connect with you if we want to connect? So you can go to my website, diversifiednow.org. You can also go to theonlyrachel.com. And then my social media of choice is really Instagram. Um, My handle is at theonlyrachel, but you can type that in on other platforms and it'll come up as well. Wonderful. I can't wait to keep learning from you and from your experiences. Thank you so much for your time today and for our great discussion. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. I want to thank you so much for listening to the You Belong in the C-Suite podcast. If you are enjoying this content, 
please remember to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. By leaving a review, you are helping others find this content. We will be featuring five-star reviews on air in upcoming episodes. Editing and support for the podcast is done by S&E Podcast Management. To get more tips and tools to help you live a life guided by your values, go to thecatchgroup.com. Keep your boundaries and take care. Thank you.